and welcome back to Matcha Meet You. If you're new here, it's nice to Matcha Meet You. Today is Monday, November 1st, uh, and I didn't have the will to dress up as Dua Lipa on Halloween. I feel like I hyped that up in my circle, but you know what? I was just way too tired. Uh, but you're also listening to this on Tuesday, November 2nd. Uh, so Halloween is a thing of the way, way back. I'm already thinking about Thanksgiving. Uh, I mean, like, how could I not? It's my favorite holiday, basically because it's much less high maintenance than Christmas. And you get to eat, and you get to hang out with people, and it's it's cute. Okay? However, we are still a few weeks away from full holiday experience, right? There's so much content coming out between now and then therefore there's a lot to talk about in terms of like not holiday themed media things i thought that this week i was going to be ready to talk about this big quote unquote research project that i've been talking about and working on uh this is a tv research project so nothing super serious i didn't make any progress on it last week because I've just been generally exhausted, but that doesn't mean I didn't watch anything. Don't get it twisted. Uh, I'll still be working on this quote unquote research project in the upcoming weeks, but the show must go on. Uh, So today we'll be talking about my favorite things that I watched last week. And spoiler alert, I am recommending you watch all of it. Okay, so write it down or look it up on my website, matchamichu.com. This week, uh, the viewing experiences that sparked the most joy in my life were the first three episodes of season two of HBO Max's Love Life, season two of Modern Love on Amazon Prime, and a Friday night screening of Dune on HBO Max. I didn't go to the theater for it, sorry. But before I jump in, I wanted to say that if I wasn't still financing my Apple TV, which I didn't mean to do, I just didn't tell the sales guy on the phone that I was okay paying it in full, I would 100% switch to Google TV. I just saw an ad on it for Hulu while watching Desperate Housewives, and it looks really fun. Like, I could really make a whole podcast about how cool Google products are without ever actually having owned any Google products, like a Pixel or a Chromebook. I just have a crush on Google, okay? Like, bottom line. (laughs) Uh, If you haven't seen any ads for it, I'll tell you a little bit about it in case you're looking for a smart TV plug-in or something like an Apple TV. So it seems to be very similar to Apple TV, but you can speak into the remote and essentially look up movies by something other than its title and where to watch it. So the commercial gives you a few examples like speaking, show with the red robes into the mic and being redirected to Handmaid's Tale. That's cool, right? (sighs) Okay, on to the show. Now, season one of Love Life wasn't a masterpiece, but it was different than a lot of rom-com-esque TV shows and movies I've watched before. I talked about it back in the back in the day in my newsletter, and if you haven't watched Love Life, each season, it follows a different protagonist's love life. Last season, we followed Darby, who was played by Anna Kendrick. I can't remember if she was still like in college at the beginning of the uh, show, 
Uh, but we start off with a very young Darby. So if she's not in college, she might be like my age or 25 or something like that. Throughout the show, Darby explores her career in the art world. She gets together with different guys and she reflects on how her family and friends influence her love life. And they kind of go into her family and friends love lives too and how that has like this domino effect. I had been seeing it on my HBO Max since I got it and maybe you had too. Uh, But when I learned that my boy John Gallier Jr. was in season one, I had no choice but to watch it off the... Uh, And I think the show itself is, like, a really good weekend watch if you just need something to unwind with. It does have, like, all kinds of storylines. Like, some feel very real and others feel, like, a little ridiculous. Uh, But still, I'm really glad they came out with a season two. Now, the first season was all about growing up as a young person, but season two is taking the growing up as a married grown-up point of view. The protagonist is a book editor named Marcus, who is played by William Jackson Harper. I hadn't seen as much stuff as I had seen Anna Kendrickin, but he's pretty good. I like him as a protagonist. And from the get-go, you know that this man is, like, unhappy in his marriage. Season one has this happily ever after ending. And what I think is cool about this season is this is what happens when that kind of ending goes wrong. Like, you always want to know, okay and what after that happy ending I think this is going into that I also feel like characters like Darby run the rom-com genre uh but we don't really get a lot of Marcus's uh I know his life is like falling apart and everything but like I'm not mad he's messy because Darby was messy too like it makes sense and so like okay as ridiculous as this show can be, it still baffles me how they balance it with realness and like authenticity in relationships and characters. For example, in episode two of season two, Marcus hooks up with a college student and I'm guessing Marcus is in his early 30s or something. So it's definitely like a little weird. It's one of those ridiculous storylines for sure. I wasn't super comfortable during the whole scene, but I couldn't help but love how this college student's room looks so much like some of my friends' rooms in college. Like identical. And I always get annoyed at how set designers make college dorms look. Like they're typically not that cute, but also not that like, like not like that standard college dorm vibe. I also know that Shoshana from Girls, for example, like this is why I always like refer back to like someone in a college dorm that is so unrealistic. Um, She didn't live in a dorm exactly, but none of like my friends who lived off campus in apartments, like their places didn't look like that either. So 10 out of 10 for the realistic set design in Love Life. Also, in season one, we're introduced to Darby's family like later on. Uh, Though we always kind of knew about her friends, like Darby lived with her friends at the beginning of season one, and then like her family comes into the picture. This season, we're introduced to Marcus's family between episodes two and three, so we meet his sister episode two, and we meet his parents in episode three. I think from this, I'm just getting that we'll get a little deeper a little sooner than season one. That's just my guess. 
But new episodes come out on Thursdays, and I think you should definitely watch it. The episodes are, like, short and sweet, so it's really perfect to watch after work. If you end up watching it, do message me because I would love to know what you think. I can't really think of anyone I know that watches this, but I'm sure some of you are out there. So please message me because I would love to know. Now, a show with John Gallagher Jr. that I didn't realize he was on until afterwards was Modern Love. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, If that sounds a little familiar, it's because Modern Love, the show, is based on the New York Times column slash podcast of the same name. And each episode is based on a different column. Or not column, I guess. Like different. Yeah, column. Right. Okay. Though some artistic liberties are taken. Um, I did some like research on that. I'll get to that in a minute. I personally, though, am not an avid reader of the column, mainly because I just never thought to read it or listen to the podcast. So I was completely shook when season two, the show went international. Season two, episode one, is set somewhere in England. Episode two is set in New York City. And episode three is in Ireland. I've only watched those three episodes so far for season two, but I've already felt the entire spectrum of emotions possible, so I would say they're doing a really good job. Um, I'm looking forward to the episode with Anna Paquin uh, because a few months ago I started watching True Blood, um, and I haven't finished it yet, uh, but I wrote about how much it surprised me in my newsletter. Hoping to bring that newsletter back, honestly, it's just like there's a couple of kinks that I want to work out before I do that so keep an eye out for that surprisingly though I had only seen Anna Paquin and one thing before that um even though like I know she's a popular actress now I'm trying to think oh yeah yeah I saw her in this movie called Margaret which also features John Gallagher Jr so it all comes full circle right love John Gallagher Jr. Great guy. Great actor. I don't know him personally. (laughs) This isn't going to appear in the show notes because I'm too lazy to type. Maybe I'll type it in right now. I don't know. It's brief. Anyway, I did some digging into episode three. If you watch it, it, you know that it it, it, it ends in a frustrating way. So I did research on it and the source material is very different from the actual episode i mean it has the same underlying conflict but it's set somewhere else (sighs) anyway i loved the episode overall though i've i think that might have been my favorite one of the season so far we'll see how the rest of the season goes right but yeah i know a few people who watch season one and I hope they watch season two as well. Um, like, I would totally recommend this as a light weekend show also, but you can't quite play it in the background. You, like, you just, you gotta take it all in and enjoy it and, you know, soak it up, okay? The one downfall is that, at least in the first episode, the editing didn't make a lot of sense to me. Some of the cuts were a little random, but, I mean... Honestly, it's a small thing. I ended up crying anyway, so whatever. And editing brings me to Dune. 
The one thing I watched recently that I won't need to refer to John Gallagher Jr. for. At least I hope not. Spoiler alert. Okay, June's editing is so good. I'm not talking about special effects here. Like, the special effects are amazing, too. But I'm specifically talking about the editing. And I'm not, like, an editing master or anything. Obviously, like, I just make, like, videos for fun. I've never edited a movie. Never even thought about it. But I gotta say, the editing was good. Okay, that's just my opinion. And I'll geek about that further in just a minute. We gotta... We gotta dissect the movie a little bit first, okay? I know you don't really need a lot of background on Dune, or you probably don't need a lot of background on Dune right now because it's been everywhere. Like, it's been all over social media. Probably so many ads were on TV. Um, But I'm gonna try to practice giving background on what I'm doing or what I'm talking about before I talk about it. Just, you know, to build some context. So, if you haven't heard of Dune, okay... It's the 2021 adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic 1965 sci-fi novel of the same name. The movie stars Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, and a bunch of other famous people. And of course, Timothy Chalamet. It also sometimes stars Zendaya, but saying Zendaya is in 1% of the film would be an overstatement just based on her involvement in the press, but I know she'll be more involved in the upcoming movies because, yes, they're doing a part two that's coming out in, like, a couple years. Also, please let me know if it's Zendaya or Zendaya. I probably could have looked it up. I could still look it up. I feel like we... Okay. Let's look it up. Oh, it's Zendaya. What did I say? Zendaya. Pretend I said Zendaya. I'm sorry, okay? Anyway, the film is set in a planet called Arrakis, where there's this powerful spice that is harvested. Uh, It follows a young man named Paul, who's played by Timothy Chalamet, who is the son of a duke and also has some special powers. It's suggested that he's this kind of prophet, messiah, or some incredible being, but we're not really sure what he is just yet. Dune was directed by Denis Villeneuve. I think believe that's how you say his last name. He's like French-Canadian, so that's a French last name. Um, and pronouncing French things is challenging for someone who does not speak French. Anyway... With a score <laughs> by none other than Hans Zimmer, who is very famous. Uh, and I'm sure you've already heard that one sound on TikTok with, with like the screaming. And I have to say, sometimes TikTok makes me really appreciate things, but not this particular piece. I'm sorry. Just this, the whole score in general, I thought was okay, but it just wasn't giving me everything that I wanted from it. It wasn't giving me space odyssey it wasn't giving me and not the movie like just like a journey in space it wasn't giving me I don't know there was just something about it that was just a little off it wasn't giving me like the tension that I wanted in some scenes I don't know just a little off for me personally I also right before recording this this is the one blurb I added in before I started recording because it was urgent 
I read this article in the New Yorker about it, about Dune. It was written by Anthony Lane. And, well, I believe he's known for to have a, uh, to have a satirical writing style. I was, like, kind of shook with how, like, disappointed he sounded. He just didn't seem, like, amused with Dune. Um, I'll get into why I really enjoyed the movie in a second, but I thought it was kind of cute that he shouted out Jason Momoa's performance. The last scene he's in is particularly impactful, at least it was for me, and Anthony Lane, of course. Um, And Lane also comments on how the film isn't, like, super emotionally complex, and at least that's what I gathered from the New Yorker's level vocabulary. I don't really have that on my day-to-day but anyway um and while I don't completely disagree with that um it also like didn't really break it for me like it had some I don't know like there was a lot of cool things in the movie to appreciate I gotta say and I'm one for emotional death in movie trust uh I I do think that Momo's last scene and the scene where the Duke aka Oscar Isaac was having some people um, saved. Uh, it did deliver some emotion. Like, I got in my feels a little bit. Um, at least, you know, for me, right? Okay, someone I want to shout out for his work is Joe Walker, who's the editor. Since this is the... Su- since... Um, that's a lot of S sounds. You know how sometimes in, like, podcasts when people pronounce their S's, they'll, like... They'll be a little too sharp. Like, they'll cut through your eardrums. I hope that wasn't too... Anyway, I'll keep speaking. (laughs) Since this is a sci-fi movie, um, it does rely a lot on special effects and all that. I also don't think it's uncommon for sci-fi movies to be that long. Like, I feel like they run um, into two hours a lot of the time. But this movie was particularly long... um, it's 156 minutes to be exact. Um, but I ate every second up thanks to Joe Walker. And I'm realizing that this is, we're circling back to John Gallagher Jr. So a few months ago, when I learned about Margaret, I watched a video by This Guy Edits on YouTube called How This Film Was Ruined in Editing. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of you haven't heard Uh, about Margaret mainly because releasing it was such a problem and for more details on that you should just watch the how this film was ruined in editing video but it's a 186 minute film that's just over three hours originally it was released as a two and a half hour film which is the version of the film that was released in 2011 and the 186 minute version made its way to viewers via HBO recently. So thanks, HBO. My biggest takeaway from the video is that you can't rush art, period. The director of Margaret had a vision. And to include all those stories in this movie, um, he cut out certain shots that affected the more important stories. I've only watched a three-hour version, and I thought it was perfect, so I trust when 
This guy edits says that the three hour version was more enjoyable than the two and a half hour one. And so my point here is that while Dune was two and a half hours long, it took its time and made so much sense. The shots were thoughtful and they made the stories complete. I also think like the special effects and the scenery that was created did blend in pretty well with just the actors. I thought that was like a smooth transition and you could appreciate like the grandness of the special effects and also just the dialogue. There are still loose ends, uh, but I think that's where part two will come in and help. I am meaning to read the book. Um, I bought it, but I feel like I'm so behind on reading. I'm participating in this book club at work, and while I have enjoyed uh, work book club selections in the past, I'm not sure how I feel about this one. Anyway, <laughs> Dune was incredible. It was beautiful. Go watch it. I did want to make a Timothy exclusive episode because I want to watch French Dispatch soon, but I figured I would just air my thoughts um, about Dune on this episode. I haven't watched too much Wes Anderson in the past, and I haven't seen any Wes Anderson in theaters. I think going to coordinate a weekday matinee with... Um, to watch French Dispatch is going to be the move. At least I hope it is. We'll see. And yeah. That's all for this episode. I'm kind of sad I'm done speaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had so much fun watching these three things this week, though. So, again, would highly recommend. And I would love to hear your thoughts on any of these things. If you have any, just hit me up on the insta dms or if you, if you know me in person have my number text me let's chat okay <laughs> till next time it was much to meet you